the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Long Island Breakdown. From live gunslingers to do-or-die stakes, we get down to the nitty-gritty. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst and writer, MixedMartialAnalyst.com, and today we are breaking down UFC Long Island, or Strong Island, if you're of that collective, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, it's going to be a fun card, a lot of fun uh, gunfights, like you heard at the top, uh, some high risks, high rewards, do or die in the main event, if you will, which we'll get to uh, here shortly. But, man, it's it's crazy, man. I'm excited for 214 next week. I'm excited for this card, but uh, to be honest, I'm most excited about hopefully... Getting to this August break, man. I am looking forward to it. This eleven weeks with nine of the eleven last, or, you know, eleven week stretch or whatever. Nine of eleven weeks, I should say, being filled with UFC cards to break down. <sighs> it's been wearing on your boy. I know I keep threatening and saying I'm going to take time off, and then I ended up, you know, putting out something small and and still delivering on the podcast. At least I hope I am. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And you are the reasons why I keep breaking my promise. So I'm grateful. It's a good problem to have. But, man, uh, that break I just mentioned in August will be marking two years since uh, since I started this. Uh, started Mixed Martial Analyst, started officially doing it. And I, I have books that go back further from my personal stuff. But, you know, as far as putting it out there in the public. And um, it'll feel good to hit that two-year stretch and have not missed a card in what's been hmm, arguably the UFC's busiest years, right? I don't have the card count in front of me, but it's up there. You get what I'm saying. And uh, not trying to play my violin, if anything, just saying I appreciate it. But, but man, I'm also being honest saying just, your boy's tired here. Your boy's tired. So that card, I think, is the last card of the stretch is after 214. That happens August 5th. My birthday's August 7th. Uh, my lady is making sure. She's doing a divine, uh, an intervention here. She's, she's stepping in. And uh, we're taking a little staycation, uh, making sure I take a little break here. Have some, have some, have a good time. Get ahead, yeah, that's right. Gonna get ahead, so I'm not releasing these things late. Thank you for bearing with me again, not making excuses, but it's tough, man. It's tough. I don't like taking shortcuts. I'm really trying to work smarter, not harder. I'm trying to make these things a little shorter, at least the written work or my work in general. But <clears throat> I don't know why. It's not like I'm fucking running a service or a cap or any of that uh, crap. But I. I just have this due diligence, maybe it's from the martial arts background, but I feel like I have to do the work in, and uh, otherwise I wouldn't be uh, delivering the product. Anyways, I, I appreciate you guys following, but, but man, it, it's 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 a stretch I'm looking forward to. So, needless to say, we'll get to the rest of the formalities at the end. we got a breakdown to get through, folks. It's you know Thursday afternoon here, West Coast time. Um, my odds and plays have been made through the last couple of days, so if anything changes, they will be addressed um, as we go on. And of course, as for usual, we'll be going from bottom to top. So if you're in a particular rush, that is the order we are going. And if you want to fast forward ahead through the nonsense, I'm, I'm skipping a UFC Glasgow recap. Um, there wasn't much to recap, at least 
worth delaying you here for. Um, you all you can go see how I did. Uh, MixedMarshallAnalyst.com did okay in picks. But yeah, did, did crap everywhere else. Not going to lie. But it was a fun card nonetheless. But sorry about that. Skipping the breakdown for Give Me. All right. UFC Long Island. First, we, we, man, starting out firing. First fight on the card is the first recommended um, parlay piece uh, as we have Chris Wade over Frankie Perez. Chris Wade currently in the neighborhood of minus 300. Um, I believe I got him for 270 uh, in the parlay that I'll uh, reveal to you all at the end here uh, as far as the core parlay. Um, we, or if you already saw the breakdown of MixedMartialOnlines.com, it's essentially the one that's there, but as far as the numbers I got on it. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, Frankie Perez, man. First of all, it's kind of hard when a guy, whether he's young and has potential or not, that he's talking about retiring and he's kind of in and out, right? That That's kind of like a flag, um, more in the emotional and tangible. And speaking of being emotional... You really just see how he can get emotional, get off from game plan, uh, let his emotions get the best of him in that Mark D. Casey fight, his last time out there, um, I believe was the Albany card at the end of last year. And that kind of wasn't a good sign seeing how easily he was stirred up. So, um, so yeah, and, and also I'm, I'm pretty high on Chris Wade. Um, I didn't pick him last time out, and he didn't win last time out. He went against Islam Makachev, another guy I'm high on. But... Uh, I believe I picked him against Rustam Khabilov, Khabilov to uh, upset him. But yeah, he got a decision by the two Dagestanis. Um, you know, made some mistakes, of course. Like, no one's perfect or whatever. But I mean, there's no shame really there overall uh, in either of those losses. And, and it was much more competitive than I remembered actually doing the rewatch and, and the tape study for this one. Um, yeah, real big fan of Chris Wade's style. He's kind of that, 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 that more... Uh, uh, Funk style. You can see a lot of funk style in his uh, in his wrestling, and I believe I'm not sure who his grappling coaches, but I know he comes from a catch wrestling more style lineage, which makes sense. Something that I always preach and real high on with you know wrestlers going into MMA, getting with more catch wrestling style coaches, because a lot of times that that from the no gi to the playing from top to the going for low risk uh, submissions and holds that don't require giving position, it kind of just all parlays into. Um, you know, principles that wrestlers inherently carry, uh, regardless of the lineage of grappling they come through when they try to transfer into the MMA world. And uh, Chris Wade does that, man. R- really good hand fighting, really good um, just kind of awareness. Uh, rides. He's not a fish off his back either when he gets off bottom. He hit that sweet Kimura sweep against Makachev. Um, you know, real savvy kind of to where he is. Um, almost reminded me of the one, uh, real old reference here, sorry, but uh, Carl Parisian, George St. Pierre. Um, he kind of rolls up into a uh, into a turtle with the Kimura because the Kimura threat will allow you to kind of get up into a turtle position from off your back from where he was. And then furthermore, you know, you have one arm locked up, so you uh, only limit them to striking with one arm, which means you know where that strike is going to come from, and you're limiting their leverage with the aforementioned tight Kimura grip. And he used that, you know, to, to sweep Peterson, bump him, depending where the opponent's hips are, you know, that was just a really sweet move, really sweet move. Uh, sorry to elaborate on that one. It just, just, just a move I like. And, and Chris Wade uh, continues to show he has a lot of tricks. So it's not one of those guys. I don't think he's gonna be one of those guys where you hear this hype about him and it's like, oh, he's a gym fighter and he doesn't you know, show up to the fight. He's he's just still young and he's he's faced deceptively tough opposition and he's beat the guys for the most part that he should be beating. Um, 
So the line, I believe, is justified here, even though, like I said, it's inflating to up to 300. Um, but even at the 270, it's still a little high there, which is why it's parlay. And you'll see that it's not on my straight play, even though, like, hey, well, you're higher on you know Chris Wade than X person who we'll get to on the straight plays list. Well, that's because, again, the line's a little too high. And since they're more dependable, if you're going to do parlays, which is stupid, but we all do it, I do it, it's fun. That's why I list it. Anyways, yeah, you want your most dependable guys for the most part in those parlays. Okay, and that's who it is for me. All right. Um, and yeah, Frankie Perez, again, I, I think this is going to go to decision for what it's worth. Um, the over is not bad, but uh, I think I might have used uh, around the same odds, uh, depending. The, 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 they're both kind of inflating right now. Let me see where it's at. But uh, I played, this is one of the fights where I played for parlay fodder. Uh, fight starts around three. And I believe it's more expensive, but you get it for like a little better odds there. Or not odds, but I mean, you know, just a little more security, at least for my liking. I'm not trying to, you know, again, it's it's, it's gambling on MMA. It's, that's fucking degenerate enough as it is. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if I'm going <clears> to... <throat> If I'm going to do this parlay, even if I'm doing a parlay fodder and stuff, I don't want to get too greedy chasing value slash chasing, you know, the numbers. Then you just kind of go down a hole. But uh, these start round three things uh, for parlay fodder, so I have things I've been looking at. Um, you know me, usually I'm more of like a fight goes to the decision or it doesn't kind of guy. I'm always looking at those lines, which there's one coming up that I, I, I'm real favorable on for this uh, for this card. But I'm pulling up the... Ward and Perez one now. Sorry, I'm probably taking much more time in this fight than I should, but since it's a parlay piece, figures at Ozzy is an explanation. And it starts round three. Oh, it's up to minus 300. I think I got it for a little cheaper than that. But, yeah. All right, and the next fight, we're continuing on the... Hopefully, you know, everything, knock on wood, will hit early. It's always nice when your key plays hit early, and... These two guys are definitely my key plays. My other one, I have Shane Burgos over Godofredo Pepe. Uh, Burgos is ballooning way up. He was around the three... Uh, let me see what I got, Bryce, right here. I have it listed, dummy. 320, yeah, that's what I got him. But now he's like 390. I imagine maybe going to get close to 400 by fight time. That wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one high on him. have not made my rounds in the community yet, aside from what I see on Twitter, but I know I know a lot of people are, are, are high on Berg, on Burgos, um, including my man Burt Watson. That's a story I shared, I think, on the podcast last time, UFC 210 breakdown. Um, I was talking to Burt a couple weeks ago uh, at Texas State Brazil, and he was, um, I forget how it came up, but it just, we were just essentially just talking, I was talking about, like, you know, I talked about this podcast, like, attitude intangibles, or some guys, you can just tell, like, oh, this guy can debut and he's going to be okay. And, and we're having a conversation along those lines. And uh, I was just kind of curious, you know, even though Bert doesn't work for the OC right now, he still works other shows. And he's, he's you know, you'd be surprised. Bert's pretty sharp on who's out there and whatnot. Because I asked him, I was like, Bert, who, who, uh, who's on that list for you, man? Who's a guy that's like, look out for this kid? He's got that attitude intangible. Um, I've seen something in him. You know, he's going to be moving his way up to the top of the UC. And the first guy I said was Shane Burgos. I did not expect that at all. And uh, and I but I agreed, you know. I, I after seeing him in uh, Albany with the the mid round haircut against Trator, um, you can see it in this kid's eyes, and I really like his style. Uh, even those little dangerous, the you know inside slips and outside slips and low hands and rolls and shoulder rolls, 
it, it parlays nicely in his money punches, which is his uppercuts and hooks, as he says. And um, it, I, I don't know. I, I really like it. It, it. It'll eventually tax him and could tax him prematurely if given the wrong matchup. But I don't want to say I don't know if this is that matchup because, you know, of course Pepe throws crazy flying knees and winning hooks that keep him live. Um, in any fight, regardless of his supplementation, right? But I, I, he throws in ones and twos, and as we, you know, we as we've seen, it's it's he's like the 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 poster child for opportunism, you know. When you just look at you know the two triangle choke finishes he has, you know, if he doesn't, which is really clever. I really like you know the grip he used on Andre Fili that around the back that money grip where he grabs the inside of the wrist, jumps, and, and the way he sets it up, it's so clever. I'm definitely not taking anything away from Pepe. But I mean, you just you know these these real, typically high percent or low percentage I should say high risk and low percentage I should say, uh, moves is what often comes to a success. And when you really look at his record now, more in hindsight as a whole, you know you can really kind of start to pick holes again. It's all kind of viewpoint. You could you could of course make the argument the other way, but in other words, it's nothing that I can really depend on from his arsenal to his overall body of work to his learning curve to you know. I'm not seeing the progression in his combination work that I'd like to see. Um, and, he, and, he, and he works with some beasts, too. I mean, he's got, uh, you know, he's I believe he works out with the Evolu Tai guys. So he's got, you know, uh, Francisco Masarandu Trinaldo. He's got the uh, um, Malagieri or I forget that, that Rafael Dos Anjos uh, light guy, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. Um, but, yeah, I think he recently fought in Europe. Anyways, but yeah, I mean, so he trains with good dudes, and and but but man, uh, Burgos, you know, his transitions on the ground, little things he did, like even against Charles Rosa, just kind of backing out um, before he backed out. I, I I can't explain the position because I can't remember it exactly, but I do remember him kind of uh, pinning slash de-gripping a wrist before he backed out, like just doing little step-by-step procedures like that, and the way he kind of flows, the direction he he goes and, and scrambles. It tells me he knows what he's doing in there. I really, I really like it a lot. Um, and against these, against these, these guys like this, I see you know Gofredo, you know, uh, getting a, a TKO loss added here. Hence why uh, that ended up being a prop play. Burgos by TKO. I got it right at the opener, which I didn't expect it to be plus money because this this one uh, this is I expected it to be a chalk prop, and I guess my had the way I had it lined was similar with the odds makers because they felt the same way. I felt it was a fair minus 135. Um, so I put a, a whole unit on there, which is, you know, big for damn Tom. That's that, you know, I, I, uh, I actually went over a unit, which we'll get to on a, on a play or two, but, uh, yeah, you know me. I fucking bet like a, a an eight year old with allowance here. I try to impress anybody. <laughs> That's for sure. All right. Um, all right. Next fight we're going to move on to is, Oh my goodness. Is it Timothy Johnson? Yeah, Timothy Johnson minus 235 to plus 195 Junior Albini. Junior baby Albini. Um he used to be like have a, have, a, have a massive weight problem Albini, I guess, and like you could see like in his earlier regional fights, he just <laughs> he looks just like an overgrown child, like his baby face and his kind of the the build of his body. But uh, he he moves deceptively well, not just deceptively well as in light on his feet, and you know, uh, <clears throat> like uh, what's his name Badger, I believe his name is in Snatch says about Tyrone. He moves when he has to, like that's what this guy looks like. He looks like he fights pretty laxadaisically and lazily. Albini, when you actually watch, you know, um, 
sit down and watch watch the rounds through on a lot of his fights, or at least his earlier fights. But when he does move, not only is he light, like I said, on the feet, he, the way he kind of will slip and, and come back with a hook, like he, he moves pretty smart, you know, like like he's been doing it for a minute, or at least is a smart dude and is good at mimicking things and uh, has been watching and studying and practicing for a minute. Either way, um, you know, I wouldn't put him having some kind of upset, you know, catching Tim Johnson colliding in KO uh, happening, even though Johnson's durable. Um, you know, it's heavyweight, man. But uh, I do like Tim Johnson stylistically. This is a fight that he should win, but it's a heavyweight fight, and it's a kind of a high, and it's kind of inflated line, especially for a heavyweight fight, even though it's a heavyweight fight of a heavyweight I like. You know, y'all know I like Tim Johnson. And that aside, non-biasedly, it's a fight he should win, but still... It's north. It's well north of minus two hundred. So again, for a heavyweight fight, no bueno. Takes certain real certain heavyweight fights for me to even want to play that. That's why Tim Johnson's not in any of my straight plays or um, my parlays for that matter. Um, I'll see if anything kind of opens up or loosens up as far as the line wise. But I really didn't see anything that that uh, that, that tickled my pickle, if you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I mean, the over 2.5, minus 110, under minus 110. Yeah, there's just nothing There's just nothing worth worth playing there. So that's that's that. I see uh, Tim Johnson's uh, wrestling and positional awareness outdoing Junior Albini, who seems to be more of a bottom guy, and fighting lower-level opposition. Doesn't see, I at least haven't seen or heard of a lot of the guys he's training with or gym, really. So it's... It seems like it's one of those cases where he's playing on bottom and floating for fun because he's able to get away with that. And even if you're able to get away with that or good, it's really dangerous to do it heavyweight because punches heading down to the ground with gravity to a system uh, from a heavyweight, yeah, they can do damage. So um, he probably doesn't want to do that to Tim Johnson, who is a deceptive submission acumen too. He's, he's also a guy that will just take him out and just, just sit on your ass and beat you down. So... Anyways, like Tim Johnson there. Next one, Marlo, Marlon Vera. I think this is, wow, first one on the, uh, usually we're already hitting uh, fights to avoid uh, by now, but we're technically still on fight pass, which is fights to avoid section generally, if you if you, if you, if you look at my trend there. But Marlon Vera versus Brian Kelleher. Um, there wasn't a lot of Kelleher on the first time around, uh, but I saw enough to keep me away from picking. Not I picked Yuri Alcantara, but... I saw enough to have that fight end up on my fights to avoid this. And a lot of people were strong on Yuri, which I love Yuri too. So I don't, I, I, I'm not calling anybody crazy uh, in hindsight, especially um, for picking Yuri. But people ask me, why was it on your avoids list? And, and that was why, because I was like, there's something about this one. You know, I heard from the inside on certain people about his talents. And then what I did see and the kind of jumps uh, from the footage told me as far as his learning curve, my like, okay, this kid's gonna be getting better. You see him, you know, switching stances, uh, being able to, you know, fire off leg kicks from both stances, moves deceptively well. Kind of, I was kind of comparing him to a Frankie Signs, where he kind of come in and score an upset, and it was kind of very similar narrative, right? Uh, Frankie Signs, Yuri Alcantara, and um, and and he kind of, um, at least so far, has proven that that right. Although, aside from the guillotine, let's not get too crazy. He didn't look that great against Yuri. But again, the stuff I saw before that was enough to keep me away from doubting this kid. So, you know, the pick is Kelleher here, but 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 no plays. Marlon Vera's live. It's just Marlon, you know, Marlon Vera, 
he's showing improvements under Team Oyama, and he's working better off of his jab. But aside from attaching his jab to his, you know, wild strikes, it's still not much aside from his one-two or you know, one wild strike kind of uh, um, pace and pattern of uh, of throwing shots. Whereas you're gonna have a volume approach by Kelleher, who has a chin, good recoverability. And, of course, the wrestling and scrambling, superior wrestling and scrambling, um, mind you, in his back pocket. And that was kind of a thing, reason why I picked um, Pickett, aside from you know, loving my man Pickett. But no, non-biased as an analyst, the reason why I picked Pickett was because Marlon Vera also, you know, sh- not only shows trouble defending takedowns, doesn't show much urgency or techniques to do it. He's a young kid, he's, gonna, he's going to do it, he's going to learn it, but not yet, right? Just not yet, kind of like Albert Morales, uh, Brett Johns we saw from last guard, I'm you know. Albert Morales has a lot of potential, but just not yet. Side note, it seems like Albert Morales is going to go the way of La Pulga, which kind of sucks there. You know, these these guys have a lot of talent, and they just get thrown to the fucking wood chipper, getting sent overseas in matchups that don't necessarily make sense. Either way, side tangent, back to Marlon Vera Kelleher. Um, yeah, it's on my void list, so I uh, didn't play anything here. Yeah, nothing looks good to me. All right, next fight also on the avoid list, Kyle Bochniak versus Jeremy Kennedy. Uh, Jeremy Kennedy, obviously well-rounded. His game is takedowns, transitions. Very smart, uh, very GSP-like. I like the way he kind of breaks things down, even getting rocked and gets honey adjacent, how he's explaining the adjustment, how he still continues with the game plans, level changing, but change the level to his level change, not dipping so low to stay away from knees, little things like that. I'm sure that's what the odds makers are looking at by giving him so much credit here. Um, because, you know, that, hence that kind of GSP comparison for literal and technical sense and terms. But it's on my avoids list because the line is a little high for my liking. A little. I mean, not outrageous. It's, you know, it's a two and a half to, uh, favorite, essentially. You know, minus 245 Kennedy is. But Kyle Bochniak, you know, Kennedy's not impressing me too much on the feet. He's shown he can be very hittable. And Kyle Bochniak, the one thing, he, he, even though he doesn't throw the volume for a boxer to win rounds um, in MMA, at least not to appeal to the judges. You know, he, he may do it as far as damage or as walking away from a round feeling that he landed more quality shots, but he doesn't put the pleasing volume together going forward. And in my opinion, much too eager to go backward without um, making them pay. In other words, he's shown he can pull, return, even counter Bochniak can, but, you know, for every... 10 back steps, it's one forward step and attempt to do so, in other words. So even if he can do that and still land more quality shots, we've seen him lose rounds or win rounds that he wasn't really supposed to win if you look back at the Barzola fight, which I thought was off watching live, but then really thought was off going back and watching again. Um, and, you know, yeah, Bochniak does seem to tire down the stretch, but I don't I don't know how overblown that is with, you know, uh, fights where they took place, altitude, the notice he had for some of them, like his debut, um, and he still held a good pace there for what that was worth against a pretty high-paced guy, at least to chase. Whether he's laying the numbers down or not is another story in Charles Rosa. Um, a guy I've, you know, been pretty high on, but, you know, has has really kind of started to kind of fall off lately too, which is a bummer. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Kennedy should win this as long as he doesn't get caught. But something tells me that that, that right cross that Bochniak pumps down the, down the center is live. Bochniak, although no wrestling background officially or credentials officially, he, he's really athletic and seems to be picking up that part of the game fast. So um, it doesn't seem to be easy to take down as, as, as the line would, would justify a play, for, at least for my opinion. 
So I kind of just stayed away from that one. That earned a spot on the stay away from this for me. Maybe I'll see. Maybe I'm wrong, and Kennedy blows through, and I'll get the pick right. But I don't don't worry. I definitely won't bump my chest. But but that is the reasoning why it is on the avoid. Um, next one could very well be on the avoid because it is a heavyweight list, but it is not. But it, and it is also not on the straight plays or parlay lists um, because of the uh, line price. That is Chase Sherman versus Damian. Uh, Grabowski, Grabowski plus 215 underdog, Chase Sherman minus 255 favorite. Um, again, you know, two to one, a little high for a heavyweight. And this is a match, you know, Sherman should win, but it's one of those, should we pump the brakes? Does Damian Grabowski, you know, finally uh, get comfortable and not fight so spaced out like he did the past couple, two couple years, getting hard matchups and UFC debuts and show what he showed in M1 against, you know, guys who had winning records and some guys were pretty at least experienced for that region. Uh, does he does he find his flow here? Because really, at least on the UFC stage, we haven't seen uh, Chase Sherman forced to grapple. But, you know, being a Alan Belcher protege, fan, student, pupil, I got to imagine he's pretty well prepared down there. Also being, you know, doing, I think, a second or this might be his third camp at Jackson Wink. I'm sure he's, you know, catching up as he should be, an athletic kid his age, his point in his career. And, of course, the striking, Chase Sherman's aggression should be enough, as I don't foresee it, you know, uh, him paying for it against Grabowski, not just 10 years the elder, strikes as if he's 10 years the elder, very slow, very plodding with his striking. And, of course, most importantly, the big narrative at play here, which is probably the line, um, Grabowski's chin. I mean, he got deadened. Just deadened. Um, I was at the one. I was at the Derek Lewis one, <laughs> the second before last, and I thought that one was bad. Then you see him against uh, Anthony. I look like I get no sleep. Train Hamilton. <laughs> he has those Vince Vaughn eyes, right? He's just like just looks like he never sleeps, but woke up enough to, in time to sleep. Uh, Grabowski there, and that was disturbing. So, and that was a year ago. So it's a year off. I. Yeah, way too many things going against him. So, I mean, I, I I don't see why you wouldn't play Sherman. I don't see why you wouldn't. I mean, I guess I don't blame you for playing it. But for the chalk across the board that was fortified from essentially the get-go from what I saw. Again, I'm not the best on keeping up with openers, as you know. Too much for me. No bueno. But yeah, that's why it doesn't make my plays nor any of the lists good or bad. And final official one on the avoid list. Although there's plenty to avoid on the main card, but I usually will keep those off the avoid list because one, it's so hard to come up, you know, to limit it to three to four. Let's be honest. There's so much trash to avoid from a stereotypical standpoint with the way these cards are booked. And also from a more hypercritical betting standpoint, if you're being real with your plays, you don't want to be throwing shit all over the place, right? You want it real minimal, um, you know, you, you want to be sharpshooting. Um, so... So for that reason, uh, I try to leave the fights to avoid section for the undercard stuff, which is A, where usually the fights to avoid justifiably are for the most part, and B, obviously, since I don't do the in-depth breakdowns on those ones, it helps kind of give you a direction in the way I'm feeling, especially if you're not privy to the Protect Your Neck podcast, which hopefully those those who aren't 
get with the program and thank you to those who are but yeah that's a little explanation on those um and as though i use also use these summaries to do my due diligence and try to at least at the bottom i understand if you don't want to read i'm definitely i'm definitely long-winded i'll be the first to admit that but you know pro tip um bottom of the summaries where i kind of give the gist of the matchup why i feel and what my caution slash feeling of what i'm leaning in regards to plays are so that is kind of a paintbrush broad stroke explanation of that we'll get to the main card stuff um when we get there but uh oh i skipped olivera Lafleur. sorry uh, i'll get to that after anders um natal since i just segue to that uh which is yes official uh official final avoid list um anders open as the dog props to y'all that were on him i uh this is one of the ones i got to toward the end of my uh breakdown and uh, but I was kind of sold just from hearing him on Junkie Radio and uh, shows like Half the Battle interviews that he did on on those programs where just hearing this guy's um, mindset and then when I got to the tape study part of it you know you see the athletic potential was clearly there even when he's kind of wildly leaping forward with his hooks he keeps his feet under him and even when guys try to to, to, to time Anders you know when he's coming forward or exploding forward um, he, he feels like he's got a really good sense of his hips. Like he he's able to kick him back, kind of mid motion, and uh, though I'm sure he can be taken down, and, and I'm sure that's on Natal's. You know, Natal's going to test him if he's smart because that's that's uh, where Natal holds his biggest advantages. But uh, it looks like he's very hard to get down. And furthermore, in these scrambles, whether guys are trying to take Anders down or he is taking these guys down and trying to put them away is very smart. Even guys who don't seem to have a good ground acumen, athletic acumen, and he rocked him and he's like going for a finish, he's still not overcommitting himself like to get overhooked on his arm, swept over. Like he's doing more of a Cain Velasquez approach of he's kind of just floating around position, you know, chest to back, so his hands are free to punch or, you know, uh, staying on his feet, light on his toes and kind of just side riding and punching. Um and just again, good sense of his hips and where his opponent's hips are, and I like that, especially when you're talking about a crafty veteran like Natal, who has the advantage on the ground. You don't want a guy who's going to overcommit and be overconfident in his abilities. And I forget what rank he is. If he's, a, I think he's a purple or a brown belt, which is kind of irregardless. Which is a little more important. Belts can be real sketchy because you're like, okay, well, it's it's you know, gi is he still training in the gi? Then there's an argument for gi to MMA or how much gi to MMA does that even matter? Well, what kind of gi? Who's your coach? Uh, you know, is it a known coach or not known coach? Well, maybe it's a not known coach with a really good style. Maybe it's a really known coach with just a, not a great style, or your just style is just not good to translate to MMA. There's just so much intangibles to go by the belts, but not an end all be all, but a little extra angle on how to translate the stats you might read off of UFC.com when you see that a fighter, especially a professional fighter. Uh, in the UFC level is willing to put themselves out there in grappling tournaments and they're competing regardless of what it is, Pan Am, Naga, Grappler, Silver, Bronze, Gold. The fact that they're putting themselves out there uh, on, on high level or Renown or toward top bar, you know, IBJJF toward that kind of Abu Dhabi, obviously that's, t- that's top of the food chain, but even just toward the top, you can be even second tier. That's impressive to me. That tells them they're, that tells me they really want to get better. And, and, uh, you know, sharpening their competition senses, their grappling senses, limiting themselves, making themselves get better, and more than likely doing so in a no-gi format as opposed to a gi, which, again, not hitting on gi by any any means. I need to get my step my gi, gi game up. I have no right to talk, but for the most part, 
especially when you're talking to fighters, which is whose opinions count at the end of the day, uh, even the ones that are big on gi, let's just say, they will cut down their gi in training camp. So let's just, we'll just leave it at that. Anyways, um, it's, a good, it's a good sign for Eric Anders there. Uh, on the feet, he's definitely got an advantage. Um, I uh, I played him, I believe I played him inside, but I believe everything's kind of already chalked now. Um, and uh, if he's going to win, I, I I imagine it's going to be inside the the distance, though. I mean, again, he... These guys, young in their career, especially these athletic guys, they can make crazy fight to fight improvements. I guess I wouldn't. I've seen. I would. I would have seen crazier things if he were to come out and win a decision over a veteran like Natal. Um, but that's harder to see. I see it more by. You know, I would almost see him, him hurting him and, and getting a sub because Natal's hurt over him. Anders winning a decision over Natal. But, you know, it's a tall man. He's definitely seen better days, and I hate playing the narrative just by looking at how his record goes. But even when you look inside the fights and closely, there's troubling trends there. I mean, he was almost put away in the first and third round on a couple occasions by Whitaker. Excuse me, and maybe would have if Whitaker didn't hurt his hand so early in the fight. And you really look back at it, his last quality win came against Uriah Hall, which... I'll always love the tall for because I, I remember I think I cashed him at like plus 350 uh, on that card, which was nice, you know. But the thing was, I was playing him against Hall because not just because of the fate against Hall and, you know, he's a little too opportunistic when the finishes doesn't come. He shells up. And even though that wasn't quite as known back then as it is now, I more played Natal because Natal can make things ugly and use his volume, even if he's not landing, to win over judges' scorecards. The key to making that work, though, is you need durability. And again, like like I nodded to his trends, the durability to, doesn't seem as much there. You know, doesn't seem as much there these days. So um, that's why uh, that's why uh, that, that that's why I picked Anders. Um, a mix of him not going to dog money. I probably would have played him anyways, despite being on the avoid list if he was at dog money. But uh, even regardless of the line and the value, again, just just looking at straight analysis, um, he is a debutant at the end of the day. And Natal, again, he's a guy I picked to beat Uriah Hall. He's a veteran. Um, he's been there. He's done that. He's in New York. And, I, yeah, he was in New York when he got knocked out against Tim Bush. But don't you think he wants to rebound from that? I mean, uh, not enough intangibles to make me go play, play him as the dog either, obviously. But I'm just saying... It's this line of thought that keeps it on the avoid list at the end of the day. This is a wait and see. This is going to tell us about this Anders kid, of course, obviously, as a debutante. But maybe more importantly, it's going to tell us if uh, Natal is Dunzo or not, right? All right. All right. Next fight is... Uh, oh, sorry. I think... Oh, no. I, I sprinkled a, a dollar bet. See, Dan, Dan bet's big. Dollar bet. Look at that. Plus 160. Anders inside the distance. Yeah, you want to tell me you best you best bring your bankroll, son. <laughs> All right, let's go to Oliveira and Lafleur since we 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 we, uh, we missed that one. I'm gonna pull up the odds here, but uh, I believe Lafleur is in like minus two hundred, around minus two ten territory, and you got almost a mirror comeback, I believe, in growing on uh, Alex Cowboy. I got three girls pregnant who live on the same street. Oliveira, that's awesome. It's per Alex Davis, that story, by the way. Yep. Every time you see him smiling, dancing, doing his hip gyrations to the do the uh, ring, coming out to his reggaeton and sounding music or whatever. Atta, 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 whatever, yeah, that's, that's, he's impregnating girls. That's, that's, that's cowboy. 
I forget there was that GIF or something like in that fight pass thing where when in the fight pass early they'll cut to the commentators, which I like. I like when they're showing them kind of talk, and I think it was like Stan and Anik, and it was like a Brazil show. But you see in the background <laughs> sitting down is Cowboy Oliveira, and he gets he gets the chick's number, and that that was kind of going not viral, and it wasn't that huge. I didn't see like floating around too much, but that that was a funny thing I did see floating around. And as I float around the odds, yeah, it's plus 170 for Cowboy Oliveira and then minus 200 LaFleur. This one, not on the straight play because although I like LaFleur here, I think his grappling is underrated. Um, 200 and, and, and north of 200, a little too high for a fight where, you know, you got a guy like Cowboy Oliveira who kind of, he kind of has a spoiler in his nature, but he also is making legitimate technical improvements from fight to fight so it's a guy that i'm not comfortable playing playing against you know uh lafleur's got some intangibles for him too i mean even though he's not getting younger um i've been really impressed even though he's been inactive he's actually done a lot of you know i watch a lot of footage obviously for what i do so you see a lot of guys from the long island mma or even some of the belmore guys have lafleur in his corner and lafleur is just really smart corner work i mean even given the majority of striking reads and instructions, they're all really accurate, man. I was really impressed. I mean, probably just one of those guys, which I can relate, understands the game much better than he, he, he does or applies it. So, And he does it and applies it very well. That's not even a knock on him, but what I'm saying that he just, the level was much more impressive and seems much more greater. Um, I wonder if he's going to do that now. Maybe, you know, maybe actually be a legit, he would actually maybe be a legitimate coach, coaching role after his fight. But, um, but yeah, I don't, Remains to be seen how much of that's going to translate, but a lot of times it makes you grow as a fighter when you have to do those things in corner and see it and be more analytical and really take things from the other side because speaking from experience, I, I feel like I've grown more in this last couple of years even having to be forced off the mat from injury just because I'm forced to look, see, analyze, and break things down, whereas when you're in fight mode or practice mode or competition mode or however you want to segregate it, there's this just kind of animalistic side you click over to naturally whether you're just practicing or in heavy practice for a fighter competition where you're just kind of flowing you're going into that uh what do you call um there's a name for it there's a name for it but yeah that that, that zone they talk about the athletes try to uh, achieve that state and but uh, the flow state you know and, and that's great it serves you best people perform much better in that state but as far as you know analytical growth taking time that's why you need coaches that's why you need classes that's why you need drills routines and that's where the more discipline comes, and that was hard for me at least. I know hard for a lot of guys as well. So be interesting to see if these things, you know, pan out for LaFleur. But I'm also interested to see where Oliveira grows. So this is a real more even match as far as we're going to learn about both guys. Um, overs and unders weren't really too appealing to me on that one. Uh, by the way, I don't remember I said for Bochnik Kennedy, but I believe I, I played with a... Uh, Fight C's round two for that one. Or fight C's round three for that one for parlay fodder, at least just for one parlay for fun. Um, but yeah, nothing much more to say about the, the Flair, Cowboy Oliveira. The clinch, I think the clinch is going to be a big thing because that's where um, Cowboy Oliveira turns fights around. That's also where his comfort zone is, it's where his strengths are. And the Flair, obviously, just has a really good change from there. So those are going to be the most interesting things, I think. Those will be the most telling, and I think LaFleur has the on-paper advantage there at least, so that's why I sided with him. But uh, no plays either way. And, yeah, okay. All right, uh, last one before we take our break. Last one on the prelims is 
Lyman Good. Versus, uh, who looks like, by the way, he ate the whole fucking vitamin store. Jesus, he is bodied up. Uh, versus uh, Elise, uh, Eliza Duskew Dos Santos. Yeah, we'll call it Eliza Duskew Dos Santos. <laughs> Whatever happened to Elijah Duskew? She's pretty cute. Um, yeah, Elijah Duskew Dos Santos. There's my contribution to MMA names. Go spread that one around, I guess, if you want. But uh, he comes in at the underdog, plus 165 versus Lyman Good. I came in favoring Good. And I wasn't sure, sure if it was going to be on the avoid list, but pretty positive the play was going to be good here. He's the deserving on paper favorite. However, this isn't so much a play on him being out and inactive, which he has been in the past year slash two years. But um, more importantly, the Santos, although not showing massive fight-to-fight improvements. Uh, again, he still kind of faces some of the problems similar to Chito Vera, but not as much. He offers more, in my opinion, to begin with. But, uh, you know, as far as wildness, he comes from an actual you know, uh, capoeira break background, which I know is not the best for martial arts, dancing, I get it. But um, he's actually melded that really well. He's got really hard kicks, really hard punches. And you can almost see him kind of, he trains a lot of the shoot box guys. You almost see him, at times, trying to imitate um, Tomas Almeida, who we'll talk more about in a second here, um, in the way that he moves, but he's also kind of trying to fight his uh, his Capoeira kind of tendencies there. Um, but slowly but surely, he's putting he's putting more and more together. I like that he uses heel hooks to stand. He's scrappy as hell, scrambles like crazy. You know, uh, I don't think he's officially ranked, but one of those guys is not officially ranked, but really good. I mean, I, the name is escaping me, which it shouldn't because it's a, uh, I believe it's a Hicks and Gracie uh, lineage. But yeah, I believe he comes from a Hicks and Gracie lineage jujitsu. Dos Santos does, and um, although Good is really good at you know positional, you know even the wrestlers have been the guys that, that have beaten Good when you look back at his performances on record, but um. Uh, but but Lyman Good actually has good wrestling. I mean, you, that doesn't mean he has bad wrestling because he lost you know Ben Askren or, or other guys. Um, he's really good there, especially you know in the clinch. I mean, it's not pretty. Oftentimes, he uses just to stall. But like, I can totally see him stalling if he can't catch or hurt Dos Santos, who has shown a hell of a chin. Seems like he's a really hard guy to hurt. Uh, seems like he's going to have a speed and movement advantage over Good. But but Good seems good about like not you know. If he has gas tank and pace issues, it's like he's aware of it because he he's he's constantly seems like he's managing it, which is bad if a guy forces you into that extra gear, which Alescu Dos Santos has done a better job of doing, which is part of the reason why I'm leaning toward him. He's done a better job of doing that. So in other words, if Good can't you know pin him in, against the fence, which is hard, or stop him, then he might be having to face fight at uh, Dos Santos's pace and speed, which he could get volume stacked up on him. You know, Good. He's not that he's slow or not technical. He's actually really technical. You know, Tiger Shulman guy, Tiger Shulman black belt. His head's in the right place, but he's not as diverse and not as fluid as his contemporaries. Obviously, he's bigger, but more so because he's bigger. I mean, it's, it almost seems like the muscle. It almost like he's tightly wound like a rubber band. And again, I'm not saying he's slow by any stretch. I'm not saying he can't. You know, KO Dos Santos. If he did, I wouldn't be surprised. He definitely has the tools to do so, but. 
when I looked closer, I was like, wow, I definitely see pass for DeSantos to take a decision or maybe even overwhelm good if the intangible part of this equation comes into play. And, you know, good, uh, you know, his uh, gas tank seems even more sus- you know, sus- sus- suspect and you know, doesn't get the finish and gets tired. Um, you know, that this, I could easily see that happening. So um, you could argue that this could be on my avoid list, but honestly, DeSantos, and again, this is a guy that I came in not favoring. And I ended up favoring him. And not only that, if I had to pick, he's he's one of I think only two official dogs. Uh, Eric, if you consider Eric Anders, who technically opened as a dog, um, that I picked. But he's the, mo- the, mo- the most confident dog, and I did honestly play him. So even if it is a fight that you feel it should be under the avoid list, if I honestly play something, um, I'm gonna list that now under the straight bets because that was something you guys suggested. That of all the of all the suggestions, which I appreciate. Uh, y'all giving them uh, at the PYM podcast on Twitter, hashtag Protect Your Neck podcast, or at the PYM podcast, Instagram and Facebook. Any suggestions? Emails, gmail.com, at the PYM. Uh, I'll get that back to you later. Anyways, you get it. Appreciate your suggestions. That's one of them um, by your guys' account. So, yeah, I'm going to list those things on there, straight plays. And it was a straight play. So, um, ja, me to song. Uh, what was that? Yeah, played at 160. I got it at 165. Not sure what it's at now, but I put a half a unit on that um, for my straight plays. And the other two are on the main card, which we'll get to after the break. Right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for UFC Long Island. And we're back right here in the Protect Your Neck podcast for the main card for UFC on Fox. I think it's 25. Either way, it's in Strong Island. As the opening card, the opening fight on the card is is really nice, really nice one. Really excited for this one since they mentioned it. Um, big fan of the violence that is Thomas Almeida, but y'all know uh, I'm an a big, I'm an even bigger fan of Jimmy Rivera, who I know it seems like I, I throw, I do throw around the, the term dark horse a lot, but in my defense, it's usually pretty correct. Now, gotten wrong on some like Luis Smoka. For sure, you know, definitely, you know, hasn't panned out as, as I initially thought. But Dark Horse was also things I attached to people like Valentina Shevchenko and Robert Whitaker, and they have proven to be just that thus far, at least. Um, and yeah, Jimmy Rivera is one of those one of those dark horses. Uh, picked him against Pedro Munoz, and which was a fun fight. I always love going back and watching that one. But. It's going to be a crazy fight here against Thomas Almeida. Um, now, I do have Rivera here in a straight play. Minus 200, 1.5 unit. I usually don't go that much. And My man, Wanley Tran, who shout out to Wanley, uh, asked, shouldn't this be on fights to avoid? And that's justified question. Uh, good question, in fact, uh, Wanley. And I already answered him, but just kind of for, for uh, sake of the podcast here, um, to touch on kind of, the, you know, 
this one in particular, yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's not that's why it's not a parlay piece for sure, <laughs> and it's not in any of my personal parlays for what it's worth. None of none of that. I left it out. But this was one of the this was not one of the few one of the few fights in general these days because, like I said, it's been so fucking crazy to stay ahead. It's so hard to get go early. Not for procrastination, people. Your boy your boy doesn't doesn't uh, get to take much vacations or uh, this last. Uh, I think my only vacation in the last two years was a funeral and a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, movies and all that other fun shit. Yeah, Dan Tom hasn't been able to do so. Not for procrastination, just just craziness, man. Just craziness. But uh, but uh, there are certain fights, though, that Dan Tom will make the time. Line out ahead of time. And Rivera Almeida was one of them. And I should have jumped on it earlier for the better value or the better price in Rivera. But terrible at reading where these things are going to go because I was thinking the fact that Rivera opened a little higher than I wanted, and I wanted it a little lower. I was gonna, I, I got greedy essentially. Was hoping that people were gonna be, at least made myself believe that people were gonna be on Almeida. Clearly, they weren't. They were on the bookmaker side and siding with, siding with my thoughts on that one as well. Um, and uh, the line only went up. So I saw that it was going up. I think it's like minus two ten or something now. I've seen it maybe even higher. It may go up higher, who knows, which is kind of crazy to me. Again, I'm high on Rivera, but it's, I'm like, whoa, I'm surprised so many people are confident in it. Um, again, I'm self-admittedly confident, which I put my money where my mouth is, played it, and since I wanted to play it, I had to bite the bullet. I'm like, you know what, cap it off, get it at 200, and that's another reason why I went 1.5. That's kind of my effort to compensate being late, which is bad. Again, that kind of falls in line of something I say don't do. Always side with analysis over the over the value. You chase value, you chase lines, you chase bets that aren't there, right? I mean, not right, but you know, as far as a clearing out rule, but you know, a healthier rule to keep in mind at the very least. And uh, and yeah, yeah, that was just bad line reading, and that was just my own play. But again, I'm gonna I gotta be honest. Uh, I gotta be honest on everything that I do, of course. But um, even you know, in what is this new section that y'all want the straight plays? Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. What I what I what I, what I play down there, and and uh, this is one of them. I just stated kind of in depth through the uh, prelim card there, and why even fights that weren't on the void, they weren't technically on the avoid list, but they also weren't on the straight play plays list. Why they weren't? Well, I guess I'll explain why Rivera is and why I like him here. Essentially, you know, left hooks have been a bad thing for Thomas Almeida. I mean, I like both guys here, but I also feel like I've got a good read on both guys. Not just Rivera, but Almeida too. Um, I picked, I believe, every one of their fights right, in at least in the relevant last three years, minus Almeida Pickett. I picked, and this was before I was posting it officially, but I'm, I, have, I have like a whole page of notes on this even before uh, I did for, for that 189 fight. I've actually picked Pickett for that one because I actually saw his left hook being there. With the way Almeida retracts himself back into space. And it's, and it's deceptive because Almeida's technique is, A, just so damn beautiful. And he actually is moving his head. You know, when he throws his cross, he likes to start with his right. And he always likes to punctuate with his left, whether he's going with liver shots or corkscrewing uppercuts up the center or doing his shuffle knees or inside leg kicks that he varies so beautifully. But when he resets his head, even with his hands high... He resets it right into range, and his inherent aggression, that is Thomas Almeida's inherent aggression, allows him to overstay his welcome in a pocket, in the pocket too much. That's why I see him getting hit by left hooks. He did. He almost got finished and dropped uh, against Pickett. You, you go back and watch that, and you, you realize how surprisingly well Pickett did. And then especially when you consider Pickett's trend after that fight, just went TKO loss, TKO loss pretty much for the most part all the way down. Um... And yeah, 
and, and you would see, you know, uh, Gorman, they only got to, you know, uh, take him to decision. Um, that guy, you know, only, you know, only lost twice, but it was to notable opponents. Sorry, I don't have it in front of me. It was to notable opponents, was the only notable opponents. The rest were, you know, like losing to mid-tier record kind of jobber-like dudes. You know, Gorman only fought once since. Nothing really ever came. There wasn't much hype before, and he busted up Almeida's face. But that was like three or four years ago. Isn't Almeida going to grow? Of course he's going to grow, and he has grown. But these are problems that have been shown to, you know, be apparent from the beginning to midpoint of his career, like I said with Pickett. And even recently, even after finally having to pay his taxes against Cody Garbrandt, which I picked Garbrandt in that one because of the left hook, you know, if I picked Pickett's left hook to beat him, where do you think I was going to leave leave Garbrandt alone on an island? No, I mean, of course, did I think Garbrandt was going to be Cruz? No, neither here nor there, but I'm saying for that fight, I was confident in my Garbrandt pick. I was at that fight. That was a great fucking card. Great card on paper. Ended up being a fun fucking card. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, uh, the the left hook was there, and, of course, he finished him with the right hand, but it was the left hook that set things off for Garbrandt. And you think that, you know, six months or half a year you know later he comes back, that he's going to show improvements plus the, you know, urgency... You know, to get back on, not the urgency, but just the more, you know, kind of carefulness, temperamentalness that you imagine most fighters have or at least struggle with because they want to get back on the win track and they just came off of a knockout loss, right? Very hard things to deal with no matter how tough or who you are. Um, and don't get me wrong, he might great as in, like, I, you don't want to see a guy come back hesitant. You want to see him come back with just a balls-out attitude like Tomas Almeida did. I mean, Tomas Almeida is still young. He still has a lot of career ahead of him, a lot of success, a lot of growth, a lot of all that good stuff. So it was good that he came out with vigor. I'm not saying that it wasn't. The problem was technically and defensively, it was kind of uh, business as usual. And we were seeing, you know, Morales, who was, I believe, thrown, he was even a sloppier version of Morales than we usually see. And again, Morales, in hindsight, not looking as good. And I'm not trying to condemn him either. Again, he's a guy I think his potential has just been kind of poorly matched slash taking poor fights on his end. But, um, yeah, maybe maybe because Thomas Almeida in Brazil, his technique wasn't even looking as good as it normally does. And he was hitting him with hooks and right hands and making it a fight. And uh, also showing that not just hooks and check hooks and counters for Almeida, but just showing another traditional trope of Almeida, anybody who pressures him. He doesn't respond to pressure well. When he gets his rhythm, uh, he starts going. That's why you hear almost every opposing corner facing Almeida saying, don't let this guy get his rhythm. Don't let this guy get his rhythm. That's the, that's almost their infamous uh, emphasis every time. And a guy like Jimmy Rivera, who, although you know he's, he's a real consistent mover, although the times he's been dropped, he's not impervious to being dropped. We've seen him being dropped by right hands, which is real life here. I mean, Almeida's got really excellent uh, closing right hands and elbows. He'll kind of time and collapse the distance with his opponents those are live and especially when you know Rivera is usually caught by those when he's standing still but for the most part what I was going to say Rivera moves around very well always changing angles little taking little slight angles in the pocket which is what allows him to punctuate exchanges with his left hook reason why I'm so confident in him here and uh he when he is hit he recovers well um you know, he's right on a t uh, takedown smartly. His eyes are clear. His balance is there. Even though he's, you know, even though he's muscled, he doesn't seem like he cut, cuts a lot of weight. So he's got, you know, water in the old brain. And he moves really well and light on his feet because he comes from a wrestling and karate karate base. Um, you know, black belt under Tiger Shulman, I believe, to the, to the third degree. And, uh, and yeah, just a lot to like about his game. I, I see him be having the poise to um, maintain 
himself in winning a decision, putting together volume, pressuring when he needs to, surviving storms when he needs to, and ultimately landing shots in both occasions, which I foresee, if not hurting or leading to a stop, at least gaining Almeida's respect to where um, it's more of a playable rhythm, a la the... uh, the aforementioned Gorman fight with Almeida, but more competitive because this one would involve Jimmy Rivera. Um, but the reason why I put Rivera inside the distance is because Almeida's do or die mentality. I had to only imagine he's coming back with, he came back with a fucking vengeance from his first KO loss. And now he's coming in. He's an underdog. I imagine he's got a chip on his shoulder and, um, you know, even if he wins this fight, I don't think Jimmy Rivera is going down without a fight. He's certainly not going to make it easy. As I see, you know, Tomas Almeida only being a couple fights away from, like, you know, I believe one of the commentators is like stirring a beehive. That's the the perfect metaphor because it feels like it's only going to take a couple shots from Rivera to stir that beehive where he looks to swarm. And I think that do-or-die mentality, as I say, in my breakdown, will will bring about a finish faster than expected. Now, even though my official pick is Rivera inside the distance, that could mean it brings about a finish the other way and Almeida could finish here. Like, I'm not... Just because I'm putting 1.5 units on a minus 200 Rivera in a fight that, again, you know, it, it, it could be on your avoid list and it should. And again, in my defense, I'm being honest, not being honest with the straight flows, my defense with a summary, I should say, I, I do state at the bottom there that I strongly caution any heavy plays on either side of this matchup. But... Like I said to you guys, self-admittedly, I explained the summary, self-admittedly high on Rivera, so that's why I played it. Anyways, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but but yeah, that's why I played it. But yeah, I'm not, at the same time, I'm not, I'm not blind here just because I'm a, I'm all over Rivera. It doesn't mean I don't ab- absolutely accept uh, Thomas Almeida's pass to victory. I love his game. Of course it's live. Of course he's live here. I don't blame you for playing him, by the way, because of that. But, but my play is Rivera. That is why. Um... If you want more technical stuff, look in the breakdown. Uh, oh, so one thing I didn't say in the breakdown, though, where I, I see... Well, actually, I actually, I alluded to it. I said his jump knee is live. But uh, Rivera tends to dip, whether he's changing levels for a shot, working the body, or just kind of slipping and fainting. He's always really dipping low, and that can lead to those shuffle knees. So I think that's going to be mo- maybe even the more potent strike than the, the traditional trope of Rivera, which is the aforementioned counter right hand. So something to look for. Uh, next fight is um, Pat Cummins, who looks like uh, imbo- looks like he wants to embody the character of Bronson, versus John uh, Viante, uh, who is GP Viante on all his like social media stuff. And I don't know what the GP means. I'm sure it's probably like his name or something like really simple, but I don't know. I, I'm sure, I, I always imagine you know, John Viante has got something. Something, uh, some weird, uh, dude bro, uh, <laughs> explanation for like more like DP Viante. Am I right, Chris? Hey, John, I got married now. Come on, lay off. Hey, come on. Hey, oh, sorry, I don't know why I just made John Viante the fucking Andrew Dice Clay of the 205 pound division, but let's roll with that. <laughs> I don't even like, uh, like Jersey Shore or reality shows or anything like that, but I, I actually just, just seeing like John Viante in like interviews, or I think he did this thing where he's like on this panel with. Was he on Ariel's show with like uh, Aljo and um, whatever uh, Rage Now? But he, he's he's fucking hilarious. The guy seems like he's a riot, John Viante. And um, 
I don't know why. It just seems like he'd be entertaining. I, I would watch that guy's reality show and just watch him get in trouble with the girls and whatever else that guy does. <laughs> but I like Pat Cummins, too. I know Pat Cummins' time has been tough and the ceiling has been brutal. And again, you want to talk about, you know, just mentioned, uh, I keep saying La Pulga. Um, fucking, what's his name? Uh, Gian Herrera. And, you know, similar to Albert Morales, these talented young guys just kind of sink or swim thrown into the, the, the thick of things and maybe aren't really rewarded for their gameness, willing to take the fights, the potential they hold, and even in losing, even in the fights they lose, they put on shows. And you just don't really see where it's where it's really paying off from monetary, from short-term to long-term to political to any any of the metrics of value with the way a lot of these guys' careers go to just, not even just how the fights go because that's just the way of life, but even just the re- rhyme or reason to why things are taken offered and accepted in the first place uh can say about patrick cummings who you know had to take a shot against dc obviously we all know the story there to get into the ufc you know had to had to, had to put himself on there and then he rebounds as he should um building him up as he should a division that needs it he puts together three wins but you know uh, starts running into some rough weather even in his last win um you know he has to go through really rough weather weather to get it against um Rafael Cavalcante, I mean, he had the rocky eyes when he was celebrating after winning that fight. And that was his win. And he deadened Cavalcante. That was, woof, that was a, that was a, Yama, that was a classic Yamasaki, Yama, Mario Yamasaki, welcome to Kumite, bitch, stop. <laughs> Let, letting the Brazilian die, just like freaking John Sharp or Waterman for an Australian in Australia. God forbid. Anyways, but, uh, but yeah, um... Pat Cummins, though, I do like the change. Maybe maybe he should have made it earlier. Maybe it's too late. Who knows? We will see. I, I wouldn't like to. I, I wouldn't like to think so because you know part of me roots for this guy, and part of it is yeah I'm not gonna lie. He's, he's working with uh, my old coach there down in South Florida. A good move though for like I said for wrestlers working with catch wrestlers like I said with Chris Wade. Same goes for Pat Cummings who apparently was breaking guys and, and going with, you know staying out of high level guys submissions and breaking them. I mean, why don't you just add to your offense and even to your sub-defense for that matter with a guy like Neil Melanson who can kind of give you the triangles, leg lock looks, the top ride positions, and, and everything in between, the whole sandwich of it all. And uh, that's what he's been doing. He took a bunch of time off, so only fought once in the last year, which is good for a guy that taking damage as much as Pat Cummings is. However, it didn't seem to do him much good in his last fight because he immediately started taking damage from Jan Blakovic, who landed quality shots. And, you know, it's not that it's abnormal for Jan Blakovic, who is a strong 205er who normally comes out strong. Yeah, sure, he, he hit uh, he hit the Durkin good, so I guess it's not that much of a surprise. But it was just, again, disturbing Durkin once again being on wobbly legs. But he came back, and that's all great. And he definitely deserves credit for that. But still, fan or not, not... The best sign, right? Seeing him take all that damage. You don't like seeing that. I don't like seeing that anyways. Um, and I, But I'm afraid that that's what may happen here. I want to see... You know, the fan in me wants to see him make my coach look good and go out there, score the submission victory as the underdog, twiddle his mustache, do his thing, go make his hummus and catch bees or whatever the hell he's freaking doing. But John Viante is uh underrated man he's underrated he's amongst the, he's always consistently amongst the top three or top five depending um on the flow of the division uh, as far as takedown defense statistics go 
was really good there. I mean, you know, wrestled uh, state champ in New York, uh, collegiate experience, and just a real athletic guy from football, that base and balance. And even when he is taken down, he gets back fast. I mean, Ilir Latifi had to muscle him down. I mean, granted, one of them was a super impressive suplex, but hey, if you're going to get suplexed by one guy, it's probably the guy who, uh, um, a guy, it's probably, probably the damn sledgehammer himself, Ilir Latifi, right? I mean, Guy's got a TKO uh, body slam or broke the ring on his record. One of the most impressive things. Like, yeah, if you're gonna get body slam, well, yeah, no shame getting body slammed by that guy. But even on those, he got those official takedowns that were scored on him. The last takedowns that were scored on him in, in quite some time. Beyonce was able to get right back up. He smartly tripods and fights hands. So, um, although I'm sure Pat can take it back, I wouldn't suspect it. You know. More of the wrestler guys, the heavier weights. They're not exactly jumping to put hooks in. Um, so, uh, you know, I see that doing, I see that serving Vellante well, even if Pat does get him down. But Vellante against the fence, and, and even in the open, just is, is really good. Is really good. And I see his uppercuts, right hands, and more importantly, that check hook just being money for him against uh, Pat Cummins, who traditionally, you know, kind of gets caught in space. He uh, will retract his hands low when he's kind of striking and coming in. And when he's retreating and backing out, his head kind of floats and goes back and upright unprotected, right? And uh, he gets caught often there. So that that just spells trouble when you kind of line those uh, puzzle pieces of the arsenal up with a guy like Gian Viante. Um, and with the damage trend and the age and all that, plus the intangibles of once again going into behind enemy lines, it kills me because I just went on the whole spiel that, you know, oh, the fan of me is rooting for him. But, hey, I got to put bias aside when I can. This one I can put bias aside. This one I have a clear read as an analyst. And the analyst read with the fan aside, Fiante gets, his son inside, gets it done inside the distance. And not only was it one of my more clear reads, it's also one of the few plus money props. Hence, that's why it makes the official list of props. Um, we added the only one, the only one so of the three I listed so far was the Burgos TKO minus one thirty-five. We added that Vilante inside the distance, got that at plus one sixty. Uh, I think it's gone down to plus one forty now, but you can still get a TKO line for around plus one sixty. But I put a half unit on that to kind of balance out the force. Um, yeah, me to sell. That's my pick on that one. All right, uh, next fight, co-main event, Darren Elkins versus Dennis Bermudez. Dennis Bermudez opened about two-to-one favorite. Uh, Darren Elkins around 170, plus 175 dog, which I felt was correct, but a bunch of money came in on Elkins this week, and then it kind of recorrected itself, and money's back on Bermudez. I still see a lot of people on Elkins. Some people ask me about their plays, and that was one of the only things I was like, usually I'm always like, which, by the way, I don't mean to be rude, I... It's a good problem to have, and I appreciate y'all asking. So don't think, don't take this, uh, you know, complaint or anything in the wrong way. But yeah, if y'all make the plays before, you know, send me your betting plays. On it's uh, first of all, it's your money. You do what you want with it. That's not my my game. I'm just your reference. But you know, I appreciate it. And you know, if I have an opinion, I'll give it to you. But if it's before my breakdowns out, then uh, I'm not gonna be able to give you an opinion. But that one, I had an opinion on because I had this one kind of lined out beforehand. And I knew that Bermudez was going to be one of my stronger plays. So I tried to caution people who did ask me on this one. So, again, not complaining. We'll help out when I can. But let's be real. Dan Tom's only stretched so thin. I only have so much time. And I'm a nice guy. I'll actually take the time to answer the motherfucking thing. So, <laughs> so I'll, I'll try. But just try to be, you know, 
Try to be understanding with me, but I'll get back to you. By the way, if I haven't gotten back to you, I'm sorry I keep harping and complaining about how busy I am, but the, that was the reason why I was trying to set it up. I forgot to say, if I, if I haven't gotten back to you, on whether it's doing a podcast or this or that, I have not forgotten about you, I promise. I've literally, I've literally been just so busy, man. I literally have not had time for barely to eat and sleep. So uh, that is why I've not forgotten. I'm not ignoring any of y'all. I apologize, in fact. All right. Um, Darren Elkins versus Dance Bermudez. Yeah, it just, just kind of surprised me because... Again, like I'm a dude that I get caught up in the narrative. I, I do all the time, um, whether it's the underdog narrative of Dan Kelly, you know, or just the narrative of, I'll be honest, man, I'll go through, I watch, granted, a lot of footage, and I'm a weirdo, and I've been hitting the head too much, so I'm a bit off balance up there, but uh, like I said, I'm very passionate, very passionate for the fight. I really connect, really, you know, sounds a little woo-woo, but uh, when I'm trying to look at him in analysis and trying to read him and understand and put myself in their shoes, uh I almost put myself in a little more than I think because then I'm watching a, a post-fight and God forbid they're giving a shout-out about a dead parent or dead relative or something, like, emotional like that. Like, I'm such a sucker, man. I get all I get all emotional. Like, uh, it gets a little, not emotional, but I, it gets dusty, let's just say, right? Right, I can I, I can admit that. And uh, and it's funny, I always, like, immediately catch myself, like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Dan? Like, as soon as, you know, because you always feel that inkling um, before it gets dusty and... Uh, and I'll get that way, but even on like emotional wins too, because you're just so happy for somebody. And I was so happy for Darren Elkins. Um, I didn't play it thankfully, but you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna front. Yeah, I picked back to like the rest of the world for the most part. Props if you picked Elkins, but uh, how could you not be happy for Elkins? All this stuff. But again, not criticizing happens to the best of us. Happens to me. I'm not beyond it, but I think that narrative has gotten out of hand here. Because it was such a good win that we forgot that Darren Elkins ain't much of a TKO artist. In fact, you have to go back eight years to his last TKO. Um, or, or eight years to, or in, I should say in eight years he's only had one uh, TKO outside of the Mirsad Bektik, which was his last one against uh, Carvalho. And... Um, before that, it was an ankle injury once against Dwayne Ludwig, which was like eight years ago. And then the one before that, you have to go all the way back to his Indiana in some random barn, some random jobber TKO that probably, again, happened on the ground. Accumulation of strikes because he's not a one-punch KO guy. He's got the most decisions and mat time. He's got all these kind of records there. He's never been a one-shot guy. He's been an accumulation guy. And we saw an accumulation more with... You know, perfect shot against the fence where Mirsad Bektik's chin had nowhere to go. And more importantly, let's talk about Mirsad Bektik's chin, something that I know I'm not alone in. I know a lot of y'all, um, from opinions that I've seen or conversations I've had with some of you, long been suspect before that Elkins fight, long been suspect about Mirsad Bektik's chin. You know, there's evidence of it going back to a Skelly fight where he was knocked out. Go back and watch that fight. Um, and Skelly took that on short notice, who, again, underrated heavy hands, I think Skelly has, but he's not the, you know, Skelly's not the uh, knockout puncher, right? He's not a knockout artist, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, you look at those you look at those things, and also you look at it's a really dumb fight. Like, Mirsad Bektik had no business, uh, not no business, but, I mean, after the first round, had no business to keep engaging um, against Darren Elkins because Darren Elkins, even before the third round, in the second round, he did the same thing where he stuffed a shot. And I actually measure, talk about the danger of how Darren Elkins works really well once he stops the shot um, in my breakdowns because he'll stuff the shot. You'll see 
and either he'll threaten with a front choke, which he used to get top position the first time, or he goes to a cradle to kind of get a beat on the transition and, you know, use like side ride, punch, and just start laying into guys. And that's what he did in the third round. That was the kind of key to the finish is there's a beat where he's the one getting pushed against the cage, but he doesn't just switch his hips out. He does it and hits his and he, and he goes to a cradle, uses that cradle to get further his hips off angle and kind of scooting around toward behind uh, Bechtick. So now Bechtick is more between the fence, and now he sandwiches Bechtick between the fence and his strikes with a punch and, like, a front kick that just plants his jaw into the fence, and that's what sends him, like, just, you know, face first, ass over tea kettle. Um, and I believe there was a follow-up, one follow-up shot that landed clean for Elkins even after that, or two. So, I mean, again, I'm not, believe me, I, I, I got emotional just watching it live, Rewatching it for tape study since, like, I get it. But at the same time, it almost seems like, because, again, it, it, not just multiple people I've seen on, Elk, uh, seen on Elkins, but, like, people I've talked to or messaged me, like, think it's going to be from different ways. Like, some, some people say submission, some people say KO, some people say decision. I got to see, I, I can't wait to make the rounds of, like, yeah, you know, actual, like, uh, community. We'll just leave it at that of... um you know, people I respect and whatnot, because that's kind of my favorite thing to do, especially like matches like this, where we're, we're, we're again, I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm just, I just laid out, a, you know, um, examples like Dan Kelly, like how I'm susceptible for the same thing. But it's matches like this, I, I'm not complaining. I like it. I like that we're all on different sides of it, but it's like, for that reason, it's almost like, like, I'm real curious to see why, because... And the second part to that, the curiosity is, is this, this is something that I've been kind of just working on in my own head. Something I've been picking up. You know, you got to, as much as we all want to bump ourselves on our, on our strengths, we also have to spot our weaknesses. Um, so I'm just trying to really analyze what I'm getting right as opposed to what I'm getting wrong uh, a lot of. And, you know, um, overestimating certain angles, underestimating athletic knockout strikers. I mean, these are things I, uh, that I'm, 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 I track that I'm usually getting wrong. But as far as getting things right, decisions, submissions, and just kind of grappling dynamic matchups. Because that's the one thing I notice is that with these matchups, where the dynamic, or at least if not the key, a key dynamic of the matchup exists within the grappling realm, Opinions are everywhere. Now, again, I'm not gonna. I'm not trying to come off. I've talked about this point before. I'm not trying to come off with my nose up in the air. I'm just. I'm. I'm a. I'm a forever white belt. I'm still learning. I'm. I'm making sure I'm getting in the gym more. Even in fact, lately, to make sure I'm keeping up, learning more, all that good, all that good shit. Um. But uh. But yeah, man, grappling though is one of those things. That's, and again, I don't, don't want to be like you. you you can't talk about it or you can't write or you can't cap or you can't analyze or whatever fill in the blank if you haven't done it. I don't want to be that guy again. That's not a hard and fast rule. Not even in my book. You know, although that's my strength, you think I should be just bumping my chest about it, which not saying I don't, but you know, I don't do it and hold it against anybody. That's definitely not my angle as I've explained here and here before. But, but striking, striking is a lot easier to kind of read uh, enough of people's work or watch enough fights and kind of slowly piece together your own vocabulary take 
and understanding and, 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 and build your database upon that. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I'm just saying like that's it, it's a little it's easier to do that as opposed to grappling whereas grappling rounding about to the experience and th certain things that, that that benefit you actually doing yeah grappling is at the top of that list because there are certain things and even with grappling even when you do do it the reason why it's not a hard and fast rule because even people that do grapple you know it, it's understanding what you're doing is a whole other thing you know and, and then then even trying to apply, apply that to a breakdown interpreting information and and then decipher it from there yeah that, i mean these are whole other phases and levels not expecting anybody to have a, a graphs much less a good one um i'm still working on mine but when it comes to grappling if you notice this is this is a pretty i think i will stand by this this is fair i think we all can agree on this the, the, a lot of the times well i can't i shouldn't say we all agree on it because a lot of people probably don't even see it but a lot of the times with these grappling dynamic matchups our opinions are all over the place and these are ones that are always really interesting to me because a lot of times that's, that's where I feel like I'm, in my defense, I do feel that I'm the strongest. And this one, I just, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, not only does Darren Elkins, the, the stats, which I'm not the biggest fan of, but they can be deceiving. But when you're a guy that has as much fights, as much years, and as much mat time, because again, Elkins isn't really a strong finisher. He's a decision guy, not even with submissions or TKOs. When you have that much accrued time, the numbers that you can go on these sites, like the old UFC.com statistics and whatnot, they, they hold a little more water because it's more of a firm uh, sample size. Now, Darren Elkins is amongst the renaissance and is amongst a couple who is amongst the renaissance of older fighters who have went to Team Alpha Male and are showing that old dogs can learn new tricks. And Clay Guido, who burned me against, you know, Eric Koch, um, and... Uh, recently, uh, you know, I did not see that coming. Um, so, I mean, I, I get that. You know, there's a lot of that too, and I'm sure that narrative feeds into the Elkins narrative as, as to why people are on him. And again, I'm not hating your play. Good luck to you. I mean, if I'm Rob, I'll be the first one to uh, congratulate uh, any of y'all. Go, go ahead and make fun of me. But uh, the, my play straight and as well as Parlay was Bermudez. Parlay, sadly, I got him at uh, 240. And again, my dumbass can't read lines because I was wanting the Rivera line to go down. Well, the Bermudez line ended up going down. That's why I added him um, to my straight plays because I double dipped on Bermudez. He went down from the 240 I got him from for the parlay, um, which closes off uh, way 270. Burgos 320 and Bermudez 250. I believe that was like 150 something ish, minus 150 ish. Again, it's chalky. It's nothing to be proud of. It's very, it's not a. Uh, but that that is my that is my parlay for what it's worth. If anyone's keeping track at home, but the reason why you'll also see him on the straight plays list, Bermuda is one eighty five for again a one point five. You know, oh my god, you went to one point five, um, because uh, I don't even. Oh wait, did I do one point five for? Uh, oh no, I didn't do one point five. I think I did one year Rivera. Thankfully, I think did I or did I do one point five? I can't remember. I have to look it up. Sorry. Again, proof that. As impressive as it is that I do this off notes, I do this off notes, which I shouldn't because I'm probably saying wrong things a lot of the times. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Bermuda's is only one unit. Yeah. It was 1.5 on Rivera, as I originally said, for the reasons I originally said. Sorry. Didn't mean a false alarm there. I had it. Uh... Remember last week episode, I said I could barely read my own handwriting. That that wasn't like to be funny. That that, that is true. My handwriting is that terrible. Bermuda's one unit here at the minus 185. Yeah. Um, Again, again, I could be wrong with the Bermudez pick, and especially, and I could be wrong in the betting angle as far as just double dipping there. But uh, these were my only straight plays, you know, one dog and 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 two uh, 
two chalks that uh, I feel good about because, again, the other guys were a little inflated. I didn't want to play heavyweights for the around the 200 neighborhood. Everyone else was either in a void or they're high. They were worthy enough, but the numbers were too high, so they were parlay pieces. Again, at least how I decipher in my head, not saying you should, but I just I get caught. I, I'm sorry to be so repetitive on here, but you don't believe how many fucking questions I get constantly. Um, so, just trying to make that clear. Hopefully, it will spread. But yeah, I mean, back to the grappling thing. I just, I, I just don't see it. You know, it, it, not just the numbers support Darren Elkins um, not being the more effective wrestler, um, and, and the on-paper accolades. Because again, both the statistics on on-paper accolades point to Bermudez, but the techniques. I mean. Darren Elkins, it's more of his relentlessness that's tiring and taxing and paying his bills, you know? It, it, it's that relentlessness. It's the cardio. It's the durability. It's not so much the technique. It's, it's like, I think, you know, it's like 40% or something accuracy, but I think I did the minus his last two fights um, and the 10, the 10 fights previous. Again, because Darren Elkins is so much of a sample size, it can be deceiving in the sense of, it's almost too much. So even cutting off the early stuff and going just back, like the recent ten fights, I read in my own average. That's not represented. And I think it was within like twenty-seven or twenty-eight percent in his last ten fights. So it's it's kind of even lower, um, if you want to kind of look at a more magnified trend of that. Um, when you when you go when you go through his fights and you you, you compile the numbers there. So yeah, and, and Bermudez. I mean, given guys like Kawajiri, who even though he's older, Kawajiri only focuses style again. He's older. He's not a world beater. He's not Damian Maya like. But for 145, uh, he's one of the last guys you want on top of you because he's got that Damian Maya top pressure pathway. He did a similar thing where he, even though he was getting older and even though he was dropping a weight class like Maya, he just said fuck it, I don't care. Uh, even though he'll still throw a stupid spinning back fist every once in a while, he really just tries to push guys against the fence, right? And just stuff Dennis Marinas is able to do. I mean, to hit a high whizzer and then put. And then kind of belly down while getting pushed against the fence with that little space there, getting pushed against the fence against Kawajiri of all people, being able to avoid the takedown, belly down to the side with the high wizard, and then from that posted position, able to just land punches to his face there. I believe it was in the first round. My goodness. I mean, Dennis Bermudez, I think another reason too, Dennis Bermudez got iced in the first round, and it looked really bad. But... It's Korean Zombie. Korean Zombie is like preternatural power. And I don't, I don't know because he took too much time off. And I forget how many new viewers we have. But you go back to not even just his early MMA career. Go look at his uh, kickboxing footage. It's probably a little harder to find. Not as much as that floating around. But he would hit stupid things off stupid angles, stupid power. And that was even... It, that wasn't... It was stupid power for sure. But it wasn't like stupid technique or stupid angle. That was spot on textbook. I mean, Dennis Bermudez, kind of like Jimmy Rivera, kind of dips low, right? Dennis Bermudez is hit, and he puts his weight heavy on that front. So anything like knees or uppercuts coming upward, we saw the knee from Bermudez. That would have knocked anybody out, mind you. Um, yeah, the uppercut dipping into it like that, it's going to hit Bermudez. And I actually forgot, Bermudez was actually doing well before that happened. He actually rocked Jung twice, um, clearly twice, I should say, but followed up successfully after the first one, pulled back, and then when he went to dive in the second time after hurting him the second time, that's when he dipped right into that uppercut. So again, I mean, it, it's hard to say. I mean, and, and yeah, Bermuda seems like he's getting hurt every fight, but if you look at the Hani Jason fight, 
Again, the Stevens and Jungs, the last two TKO losses, completely justifiable. Um, the Honey Jason and uh, Tatsuya Kaujiri, they didn't score any official knockdowns on them, which I think was incorrect. And then when I went back and rewatched it again, um, the knockdowns that were there were, I mean, I did see them. They weren't in figment of my imagination, but I'm guessing why they might not have credited them because a lot of them were arguable slips. I believe two out of the three to me were arguable slips. One of them, though, against Hani Jason should have been counted as a knockdown. And for whatever reason, they didn't credit. There's been a lot of fake news on that stat site on UFC.com. Another reason why I say be careful with those stats. But um, they didn't credit him with a knockdown there. But either way, if you look at Bermudez, his eyes weren't shaky. And he's been shaking again in fights where he's won and lost, for sure. So I, I get that trend. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying that I don't. I think it's a bit overblown. Because, again, he was off balance on all three of those uh, in, the, in the Honey Jason and Kawajiri fights. Where, you know, they're arguable slips. And there's no signs after. There's no wobbly legs. He's in on takedowns. He's coming up and striking. His balance is back and reset. His head's in the game. And he's winning rounds. Um and then you go to before that, you know, uh, as far as him getting submitted, uh, all submission losses were early and kind of in a run when he was getting into the UFC about like seven years ago. And they were all, by, I believe, maybe minus Jordan Rinaldi. They were all notable names, including Rinaldi. But, um, and they were all grappling specialists because, again, Rinaldi, I think seven of, seven, of, seven of his eight finishes are by, by submission. But the rest of the guys are black belt, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and or experience, more experience, slash, and notable names. So those were Bermuda's submission loss. The only recent one and relevant one was against Ricardo Lamas, one of the best submission guys who has that really tricky guillotine we're seeing more people use. Bader doesn't get enough credit for his. He's one of the first guys to hit one, I believe, against, uh, was it Matryoshenko? But uh, we saw that it's, it's, a, it's a boa choke, as what I call it, and I went in depth with a couple podcasts on, on uh, one, I think it was the last time Pedro Munoz fought. Because Pedro Munoz has hit it too more relevantly, um, and yeah, and and again he rocked him before he submitted him. Well, okay, well that explains the submission, but still, Danny still got rocked again. I'm not saying Bermudez doesn't get rocked, and again, even though Ricardo Lamas might not be known for a knockout puncher, he's got a lot of TKOs. He wields a lot of power. Ricardo Lamas is just a weird striker, only throws in ones and twos, and he's like one of the only strikers who, for whatever fucking reason, except for Max Holloway, the most talented person he faces, he never throws a counter. Not even lands, th- attempts, like throws attempts, counter shots. He resets till he's comfortable and only throws when he's comfortable. So again, you're not going to get a lot of knockouts when you're fighting like that, especially when your strength is wrestling and submissions. And the jab that he knocked Bermudez is down, he was stepping into it. And it's always weird when someone gets knocked down with a jab. We're like, oh, he got knocked down with a jab. And look, Edson Barbosa got knocked down with a jab and he couldn't let... People are still saying he's got a terrible chin. Hell, I even doubted his chin for a little bit when I was fading him. Like you know, when he fought like Michael Johnson or guys like that. Whether I was right or wrong, whether I cashed or I didn't cash, I'm uh, I'm just saying I'm not coming at anybody. I'm there too. The point I'm trying to paint here is that things can be very much overblown. It's just the viewpoints we look at it. So I think a lot of these narratives are working against Bermudez and working for Elkins here. But at the end of the day, I'm just like you know. If you can have, if you if you're if you're a consistent pace, pressure fighter, you've got good footwork, amazing wrestling. In fact, the best wrestling in the division. In fact, the best takedown defense in the history of active or inactive featherweights. Coming only second to the kingpin Jose Aldo. Yeah, that's Dennis Bermudez stats. So again, if you're looking at a guy who's who guys who's who who, who, who 
who typically have trouble with Elkins, it's cardio. Okay. No, that's not Bermuda. Bermuda's super consistent with cardio. Wrestling, uh, offensively and defensively, Bermuda's super consistent. Sub-defense, I just stated the argument, and I could even go and wax on even more poetic, which you know Dan loves to wax on about hand fighting, but Bermuda's really good about hand fighting, hip positioning, and keeps himself out of danger of even subs getting, getting, getting close. And even when he has his mental flops where he gave the back, to, or not gave, but lost transition. Either way, it's a flop on his end. I'm not making excuses. He gave it back through Honey Jason in the third round. We saw Honey Jason. You want to talk about opportunistic guys who can close the show, who that's how their wins come by. He's in that similar field of Godofredo Pepe. That's how he was going to win the fight. That's how he was going to win the fight. He even got to his spot, the rear naked choke spot, and Honey Jason couldn't get anything done because even when Kawajiri, I think, got even um, Bermuda's in a scare. Because, yeah, Bermuda's, you know, I always talk about, hey, Turtling and tripoding, you're going to give your back. But even those guys, guys that are specialty back takers, they couldn't get anything going because Bermuda showed his hand fighting. And Elkins, even when he does show submissions, which he's underrated in the submission department, even off his back, like Elkins is something that DeSantos does that you guys know I'm a big fan of, using leg locks to sweep. Uh, he does that. But when it comes to back takes, because th- th- that's where Darren Elkins has the most opportunities. Again, he's cradling all the time, and he's going off to side rides, which means guys are turtled when usually uh, on those transitions, and that's when you usually see guys put hooks in. Even guys who suck or big guys or aren't jiu-jitsu guys, when a guy's turtled and you're kind of in a side ride, it's almost like natural instinct. But even Elkins doesn't do it, and when he does, you'll see that he quickly dismounts. Like He'll go in and put a hook, but you can tell, even for someone as relentless and grappling as his strength, you can tell that he's not that confident because from early in his career, mid to relevantly, every time he gets back mounts, he doesn't fight too hard for it. He'll seldom put both hooks in. He'll kind of just clamp on with one hook in, one hook out. He quickly dismounts. So, I, again, I don't see him capitalizing the spots. The, mo- the most spot troublesome I-, I could see him capitalizing is the front headlock for the aforementioned reasons, threatening the guillotine, the cradles. And I go over that in my breakdown, how a failed shot from Bermudez could lead to that. But... Whether we're talking, again, offensively or defensively, like, Bermudez has not beaten spades. Looking at it from a grappler, man, like, he, he out-grapples him. He's a bad matchup. And, and when we look at guys who have troubled Bermudez, on the flip side, these are guys who, they don't have to be able to be, dur- uh, be durable. They don't have to have good endurance like Elkins. The guys that have beaten, beaten Bermudez is because they've caught him and or they have the finishing skills on the ground or with strikes both, because again, you look like his last submission loss, both from Diego Brandao and um, otherwise. Well, he had Brandao in trouble, but uh, Brandao also landed some shots on him too in exchanges when you go back and watch. Brandao, obviously, despite his problems aside, a potent striker, especially back then. Uh, and then, of course, I already explained the Lamas one. Again, you have to have kind of like, you you can't you have to be more potent than, than, in my opinion, Elkins is either on the feet or standing, and you arguably even have to have a little bit of both to beat Dennis Bermudez, who, again, I'm not saying he doesn't have chin issues. I'm just saying they're a bit overblown, and they will... I I think they will tax him, for sure, and there will be spots to fade Bermudez, but I don't think this is it. I don't see where Elkins does it. Now, if he does, it's going to be another Mirsa Bektik thing, and I'll be the first to give him credit, but that is is why I'm so strong on Bermudez here, and that is why I'm just kind of a little head-scratchy. But again, you know, uh, I'm uh, going to see... uh, People I respect in the community, see you there on. Not that it's going to change my plays. My plays are already made, but 
I'm just curious, man, because I'm just seeing so many. What I have seen, I'm seeing so many people on different ends of this one. It's really, really interesting to me. But either way, I'm gonna have fun watching for the, uh, that one. Let's get to the main event. Sorry, this is taking a while. Wyman Gastelum. Uh, this is a real do or die fight. Um, I actually had a tr- trouble picking this one, man, because again, uh, I picked Romero against Wyman, and of course, I picked Masasi against Wyman as well. Um, against you know, so I picked against Wyman in his last home, two home state showings, but I think the intangibles are live here as far as the must win, the New York thing. I know that sounds crazy, but I think they actually do hold water here. Um, and I think he does return to his roots, not in the sense that he's fighting in Nassau Coliseum in his hometown backyard, but as far as returning to the wrestling, I almost picked Weidman here, man. It was it was a real 11th hour that I went with Gastelum. But because the ultimately, you know, the trends outside of the fight and the trends technically to pathways to victory, Kelvin ultimately has more, so I picked him. But... I will say, Chris, I don't think he should be quite written off as much as... I don't even know if people... Again, I don't want to make these broad statements just to... If you don't notice, I almost want these kind of counter statements just to kind of play devil's advocate and support what I'm going to say, but I don't want to make a blank statement and fucking speak for the gen gen pop because I honestly don't know where where people stand if people are writing Wyman off, but it feels like the general public is is writing Weidman off, I should say. And I don't think they should because I think he's got a real tangible path and his most tangible path is by submission, which is odd because it was like plus 700 or plus 800 odds, much higher, double in fact, inside the distance, TK or decision. Which according to odds makers are all way more likely than the submission, but according to my analysis, submission is way more likely. But Gaslam's never been submitted in his amateur or pro career. True. He's barely been really close to being submitted. True. He's really Gaslam's a really good underrated wrestler. True. Believe me, I actually like his style. I love the. Uh, I love guys. Someone who hits Grambies and Petersons and 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 loves hand fighting and tripoding and turtling, doing it the right way. Believe me, big fan of Gaslam. But also as somebody who turtles too much, tripods up too much, gives his back a little too much more than he should. Well, I also can read that too. And my theory, in other words, is that I don't think Gaslam has had to pay his taxes. He's fought, he's faced good grapplers, but when you look at it, he hasn't really faced game over tacticians, much submission tacticians, much less your traditional back taking submission threats. And Calvin Gaslam gets his back taken a lot. In fact, the person who had the most success was Neil Magny. Now, Neil Magny, really underrated. Almost a virtuoso, a, prom, uh, a virtuoso performance, at least for in regards to the books of Neil Magny, in regards to his career, when you go look at his performances. That definitely, by, by and large thus far, his most impressive one, what he was doing, you know, doing something like Pat Cummins does, where he is kind of snaps guys down from the front headlock, but then will also hit the inside trip as the, he shoves his hips forward. And, oh, just brutal! And he did that to, to, to Kelvin. We saw, you know, Kelvin have trouble even against a less talented wrestler. Granted, it was opponent change. You know, granted, he wasn't expecting a wrestling from Magni or his original opponent, maybe. And you know, he was focusing on his striking with Kings MMA. Granted, granted, granted. But you still saw Kelvin Gaslam struggle with a less accoladed wrestler and, a, more importantly, a longer-framed fighter as Magni was able to cause him problems with the outside trips, advantageous underhook positions, and just, you know, 
Kelvin, with his traditional trope of he lets guys in on his hips a lot. I mean, you look back at his fights, guys, whether that's their forte, whether they know what to do, whether they did the right thing or not, or were successful or not, it is really not that uh, uh, not uncommon, I should say, to see guys in on Gastelum's hips. And um, we saw Tim Kennedy get there, and it was really scary because I was like, that was the one way I saw Tim Kennedy, similar to Wyman. It's a similar outline. That was the one way I saw him winning the, that fight. But again, he's smartly tripod as opposed to turtle because the tripod he makes that ski slope that I talk about. It gets the center of gravity on your side. So Tim was kind of sliding downward. He was also fighting hands to protect his hand from the choke and was able to get Tim to dismount, wear out, and free himself from the bad position. Good sign if you're a Gaslam fan, but even though Weidman, especially as of late in his career, hasn't shown his submission propensities, much less his back-taking propensities, although he had a nice one against Rockhold early, which was just a weird fight all around. Um, I still think uh, Weidman is a better submission grappler and maybe even back-taker than Kennedy, who that was actually Kennedy's moneymaker there. He's a really good back-taker. So that says a lot. But, I mean, Weidman was a, was a you know, Abu Dhabi uh, qualifier, I believe, and just real. That was his height before he got on the MMA scene. It wasn't, it wasn't grappling. And he fell in love with the striking, knocking out Anderson Silva, all these greats, real easy to. But his strength here is wrestling. And for his sake, I hope he knows... <laughs> Excuse me. I hope he knows that, um, because if Gastelum, you know, gives his lackadaisical approach again, I think it's lackadaisical because a lot of wrestlers, like uh, you all, Merrill, kind of a top of the food chain, top spectrum. Maybe not the best example, but similar in spirit. A lot of wrestlers are kind of seem lackadaisical or seem like they have quote unquote bad defense when really they're just they're so confident in their abilities and what they're working with, and they're going to allow for these positions. In fact, many of these positions play into their reversals. You'll see uh, Kelvin, instead of wasting the energy to try to re-pummel and end up getting taken off balance, taking the other way through an outside trip, ending up on his back, he'll just opt himself to give almost give his back and uh, hit a Peterson roll and bait guys there. I'll do a similar thing, except Kelvin much more uh, wrestling style and smartly, stylistically, will hook a leg when doing so. Makes it a little harder to turn around. You see him, amongst other guys, that do similar Peterson rolls. They'll kind of get caught um, into a weird half guard where they have to turn around, and, and, except they run the risk of getting their back take if they don't. But uh, nevertheless, I'm not trying to criticize. Believe me, I'm the last person trying to fucking criticize Castle when I was wrestling. Not me. Believe me. I'm just saying um, it, that could be a reason why he's because he's just confident in his techniques. There is what I'm trying to say. Uh, nevertheless, I don't think he should get too confident there. It's not only does the turtles uh, lend to back takes, but they lend to front headlock position. And uh, you think I thought you know El Elkins is good from a front headlock. Uh, Wyman makes his money from there with his long arms. I mean, there's this uh, he missed it because Musasi was just so smart and savvy. But you'll see it. Wyman goes from a snap down to where he kind of uh, he the, you know snap down. You have one arm. Your chest is on the back of the head of the opponent because you're snapping them down to the ground. One arm's kind of under their chin, grabbing other arm under their armpit, and you're snapping them down, forward, onto their hands and knees. Oftentimes, this transitions to a back take, but you see Weidman sneak his hand up like a kind of a John Jones one-handed guillotine and almost sets up a beautiful front choke because he's got like anacondas and front chokes, guillotines. Weidman's got a lot of weapons from there. So, again, front headlocks lead to back takes, at lower divisions more than higher divisions, but at higher divisions, um, kind of like I, I pointed to like Stipe versus uh, Alistair, the 
turtling up to your feet leads to a front headlock. So you want to look for not so much a back taker, which again, there's less to work with when you when you get up into 205 and around that area, heavyweights. But you want to look for guys that work well from front headlocks or have good front chokes. And uh, that'll be a danger, I think, for Gastelum here as well as far as the submission threat. The reason why the, the TKO threat, obviously everybody and their mother um, if agrees that Gastelum is on paper speed advantage, technical advantage, volume, pace, knockout power, consistency, trends, footwork, head movement, defense, kicks. Um, wow, we're going to go through almost all like the check boxes of within the striking realm. And maybe not by a wide stretch, but safely give the checkbox to Gastelum, right? That's fair. Um, so for that reason, obviously, the, the TKO is not on my more likely if you're looking for Weidman value. And the decision is because Weidman, although he has more on-paper experience in five-round fights, I don't think he'll fare well uh, as well in one. Even in one where he's getting off wrestling and winning rounds, even if he's winning the fight, I think he's even more at risk to get into trouble later on because going back to a wrestling-heavy game pan plan, especially one you haven't done in a while, we've seen make even wrestlers, guys who grow up wrestling, uh, tire. Again, it's what you practice in the practice room, and trends are real and reflect that. So if the trends are there just been standing since back when he won the title in 2013 or late 2012, well, chances are the reason why he's doing that is because that's what he's mainly practicing. Now, I'm sure he got back to his wrestling. A lot of nods to that in his social media. It's the smart on-paper pathway here, but... Yeah, back to the reason why the decision, I see him getting tired there. Well, why? But, Danny's he's an athlete and this and that. And yeah, he is, but it's a tough cut to 185. I don't think it's getting easier with age. And forget the weight cut. I don't even think it has anything to do with the weight cut. I think Weidman consistently gasses. I mean, he was gassing back on the Machida fight in his prime when he looked jacked. I'm not making assumptions. I'm just saying he looked in great shape for that one. You know, um, yeah. Leave it at that. And, uh, you know, he was still kind of running out of steam there. And, again, even in these, these his recent victories, like the like that Machida one, he was running out of gas and was rocked. He ran out of gas, got rocked. And you can see he thinks the fight's still going. He has to ask Stitch in his corner, and he's surprised that the fight's still going on after that fifth round closes. That's how bad Machida had him hurt. Um, and you kind of see that same body language, and it was really troubling. You see, you see it with Vitor Belfort. And that fight only went one round, and he won that by TKO. But he got hurt early because again, guys who pressure, you know, anytime the southpaws and Machida or Belfort fights that he won, anytime those guys pressure, they hurt him. They hurt him, and it lasted till after the fight was over. And well, maybe you're looking too deep, Dan. Well, maybe not because well, obviously we all know Wyman has since subsequently lost three in a row taking damage, losing all by stoppage. So those were probably trends telling signs in those victories, right? And uh, that's why it's just so hard to pick against, uh, pick, pick Weidman here. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but for that reason, I just, you know, his, his gas tank, uh, oh, sorry, I got sidetracked, his gas tank was going in that Machida fight. But even, you know, people say, oh, he was winning the Musashi and Romero ones. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Uh, he had argue, He had strong arguments and I believe off the top of my head, I, I want to say that I clearly scored them, although they were close. Not to say that they weren't, but I, I believe I clearly scored them for Weidman, the first rounds. But I also clearly remember both those fights, not just momentum-wise shifting, but even the scorecards going to uh, Weidman's opponents in the Romero and Musasi. Neither here nor there, he got to finish anyways. And that, the, 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 again, the, the momentum trend, regardless of the, where the scorecard was going, was clear um, anyways. 
But yeah, his, his gas was going in those. So again, if he's doing good or not doing good, I don't see this going the distance. I think the most likely outcome is either Gaslin gets a TKO or uh, early or late, by the way, um, or Weidman wars and toughs out of submission early or maybe even late, giving it all he has. Either way, I felt that the best play, closing off the props, the last pro- last of the three props, was a Weidman Gaslam. Does not go the distance. Uh, minus 185, which it still is at now. And uh, I did a... Uh, my That's where my other 1.5 unit was. That's where the mistake was. That's where my other 1.5 units was. And I usually don't go that high, which isn't very high. Again, Dan, Dan bets like a fucking 8-year-old. Um, but, um, but yeah... Um, 1.5 units on doesn't go the distance at minus 185 is something I feel really good about. You can still get plus money on Gaslam by TKO as I feel like that's a good angle there. Or a little sprinkle on the submission. Maybe maybe I might do that too because I honestly stayed away from Gaslam here. I'm kind of scared for the aforementioned reasons. I feel that the intangibles at play are live. Just so much at risk, so much do or die. I think the fight doesn't go the distance. This is the safest way to go at it. All right, I already went way too long, so um, I want to get out of here. I got to prep. Another reason why I was late, I didn't mention it before, but amongst the business, I'm also working my first corner for the first time since, like, 2012. That's right, my man, Rodney James Edgar. Shout out to Rodney James, a uh, amateur Emmy pro, going to be pro fighter, uh, works within the MMA media, man of many trades, serves our country, but badass dude. Uh, he's fighting here and nearly moved to Vegas. Most of his fights were in Texas is where he's from, but, uh, he actually got promoted, um, to the title fight. So I got to go finish up some research on his opponent and, uh, may have some, uh, unless Rodney gets done early, may have some, uh, may have some, some, some fun quality corner experience rounds, uh, get some more under my belt. I'll definitely fill you guys in on how that goes. So shout outs to Rodney, uh, shout outs to, uh, Man over uh, Matthew Wells uh, Slip and Dip podcast over there, retweeting their stuff. Uh, really awesome and digging it. Also, uh, Christian O'Connell gave me a shout out. Who's the co-host of my man Brian Lacey MMA, and they have a new podcast, Ultimate Couch Fans. Go follow them and that podcast. They have their handles. Their podcasts have. Just go to my timeline uh, at the MMA analyst or at the PYM podcast. I believe I retweeted it. Retweeted it from those handles. Uh, man, Kobe K been grinding. Got some. Uh, collaborative uh, projects. I don't want to say too much more, but uh, coming up, I just wanted to give a shout out to Kobe K though, I've, uh, because I've been seeing him putting out a bunch of work lately, and uh, not lately, he always does, he always grinds, but yeah, I've been seeing him put out a bunch of work, and I just wanted to give uh, him some shout and his due. Also, shout out to the Loudmouth MMA Network, Kyle Steele and those dudes there, along with Blake at the Loaded, uh, Loaded Joe's Podcast Network, uh, MMA Gym Podcast, retweeted that recently. Again, just spreading the love around. These are people that support me, and uh, they uh, hustle in all different parts of the continent, different flings, different flavors. Some you might not like, some you might like, some you might love. So be sure to go check them all out. Just wanted to give some of those shout-outs that were stacking up. Sorry, as they were all... Oh, Gabe Kelly, my man over there, too, cashed a, cashed a nice parlay uh, the other week over there at Oddsbreaker. Um, Again, yeah, just just stuff that just kind of accumulation in the last couple weeks list that I keep missing. Wanted to get that out there. Again, Amazon links are up. On it links are up. iTunes five star reviews. Um, won't be sharing any of those. I have some, and including Amazon ones. Thank you very much, by the way, 
for all you that are clicking through. It supports me. It doesn't cost you a thing if you're already spending money. At these aforementioned retailers, MixedMartialIslands.com. Click-throughs there, donates, iTunes ratings, reviews, all ways you can support. But the best way, of course, is telling a friend, spreading the word, sharing the breakdown. It's appreciative. I know my ass complains. My ass definitely rants. But, again, it's really appreciative. I can't tell you how fucking grateful I am. Probably do some type of recap. If not, maybe not, because I'm actually going to plan to do some quick turnaround. I'm going to jump right on the 214 and have that out for you hopefully sooner than later. But thanks to that last week. Ash, 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 ash. I'm really going to do it because 214 is big. I am goddamn excited. I already have some things cracking on that. Um, so, until uh, next time, I guess, uh, don't drink too much. Don't eat too much. Watch out for leg locks. Don't underestimate the tide of the new things to come. And until next time, protect your neck.